Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you that you gave up the comforts of your heavenly home to come down into this world to be our Savior. Teach us during this epiphany season more and more to know you for who you truly are and to embrace you as our own Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. God's peace be with you, friends. This is epiphany season, and as I indicated earlier, the word epiphany is a revealing, an uncovering of something that's hidden. And during this epiphany season, uh, during this sermon series, we're going to be looking at the stories of the life of Jesus that reveal something about him, about who he is. And so we're asking the question, who is Jesus? This morning, we learned something about Jesus in the story of the Magi or the wise men who visit Jesus when he is just a young child. We hear the opening two verses from Matthew chapter 2 once again. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. These magi from the east followed a star, a rather extraordinary star, in search of the one who had been born king of the Jews. Magi from the east, we wonder where from the east were they? Well, more than likely they were from the Middle East, not the Far East, not China or that part of the world. Most likely, these magi were from ancient Persia. Persia today would be located in modern-day Iran. I have a good friend who was born in Iran. I helped lead her to know Jesus, and I had the privilege of baptizing her, and she and her husband send me a Christmas card every year. She is so thrilled to know Jesus as her Savior, but she and her fellow Iranian people are very proud to be Persians. They were Persians long before Islam ever came to that part of the world. And most likely, these magi were from that part of the world, Persia. The magi were of a priestly caste. And these priest sages were well-educated for their day. They were specialists in a variety of fields. The specialists in medicine, in the study of religion, astronomy and astrology, to, to name a few. Now, during the Christmas season, we often hear and maybe even sing that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. And as Dr. Paul Meyer, a former professor of history at Western Michigan University, would often say, well, they weren't three, they weren't kings, and they weren't from the Orient. But other than that, the song is perfect. <laughs> We three kings of Orient are, yeah. These magi were not kings, but, but they were wise sages and educated people. And these magi take note of this rather extraordinary star that appears in the western sky. So they're in the east and they see it as they look to the west. And they're led to follow this star. No doubt they had been exposed to the Hebrew scriptures. Remember, centuries earlier, 
The people of Judah had been taken in exile to the Mesopotamian Valley. Persia later conquered the Babylonians. And through the course of the centuries, no doubt the words of the prophets like Daniel and Ezekiel and and the other Old Testament prophets had had that word passed along among the peoples of, of Persia. And these magi were somewhat familiar then with the Hebrew scriptures and and took note of the fact that the Hebrew scriptures made reference to a star that would appear in connection with a certain Hebrew king to be born in the future. So they see this extraordinary star appear in the West and they're drawn to follow it. Eventually, the magi arrive in Jerusalem and they have a meeting with King Herod, the king over the Jews at the time. They appear before Herod and they ask the question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star and we have come to worship him. Of course, Herod isn't real thrilled about this whole thing. Herod is a jealous man, a power-hungry man, and he is threatened by the notion that there's another king of the Jews born. And so he is not very happy at all. But he calls his chief priests and teachers of the law together. And he inquires of them where the promised Messiah was to be born. What town should he be born in? And so they look up the scriptures and they find in the prophet Micah the fact that the Messiah was to be born in the town of Bethlehem, a small town about six miles to the southwest of Jerusalem. So Herod sends the Magi to Bethlehem. And gives them instructions to, once they find the child, to come back and report to him so that he could allegedly come and worship the baby too. Of course, he says that tongue-in-cheek because in reality, Herod had an evil plot in mind. He wanted to kill this kid, this one who threatened his position as king. Well, after these magi had heard the king, the magi went on their way, And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Matthew tells us when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. But now listen to this next part of the story. It says in Matthew 2 verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's kind of interesting that Matthew makes the point that they came to the house. That evidently by this time, enough time had passed after Jesus had been born, that they established a household in Bethlehem. We don't know how much time had passed. It could have been as much as close to two years because shortly after this, Herod is going to uh, issue an edict to have all the baby boys of Bethlehem who are two years old or younger to be killed, slaughtered, thinking he could eliminate this threat to his kingship. So Jesus could have been almost two years old. We don't know exactly how old he was, but this much we know. When the wise men arrive in Bethlehem, Jesus is not in a manger in a stable anymore. All of our Christmas cards are wrong. (laughs) 
that have the wise men there at the stable. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. Matthew tells us, on coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they presented him with these amazingly valuable gifts. They present him gold. Gold, (laughs) it's of great value today yet, and it certainly was back in antiquity. They present him with frankincense. This was a fragrant gum resin that was white in color and was burned as incense, especially in priestly activities, frankincense. And they present Jesus with myrrh. Myrrh was an orange-colored resin that was very, very expensive because it was hard to extract. And it was used in perfumes. It was used in anointing oil, in some medicines, and in the embalming of dead bodies. They present Jesus with these three unique gifts. Gifts that, if you think about it, all kind of foretell something about Jesus' own life and ministry. They present him with gold, gold that was worthy of a king, pointing to his own kingship. They present him with frankincense, incense that's used in priestly functions, pointing to the fact that he would be the ultimate priest between mankind and the Father. And they present him with myrrh, myrrh. You may recall that when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's offered some wine mixed with myrrh. And then after he dies and is wrapped and prepared for burial, in the folds of his burial wrappings, they placed myrrh, indicating that this gift given by the wise men points to his very purpose for coming into the world, to die for you and me. This next photo shows a relief from a third century sarcophagus or a burial box. And this particular uh, uh, sarcophagus with its relief image on it is one of the earliest known depictions of the Magi bringing gifts to Jesus. And they are dressed in typical Persian dress. And look how Jesus is depicted, not as an infant in a manger, but as a young boy. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, the story continues. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi returned to their country by another route. They come, they worship Jesus, they bring him their gifts. They're, they're going to return to Herod, as he had requested, but an angel of the Lord warns them not to do that for their own safety and the safety of the child, and they return another way. And that is the last we hear about the Magi. That's pretty much all we know. But Herod was absolutely dedicated to his evil plot. He did order the killing of the baby boys of Bethlehem, age two and younger, But thankfully, Mary and Joseph had been warned by an angel of God to flee Bethlehem with their son to Egypt, which they did. After the time was uh, passed that they could safely return to Israel, they had intended to move back to Bethlehem, to Judea. 
to the town of, of where they had established a household. But when they realized that the son of Herod, who was now the king, was ruling that part of Israel, they decided to go north and they settled in the town of Nazareth. As we said, Epiphany is about a revealing, a revealing. And my question for today is, what is revealed to us in this story about the Magi visiting Jesus? What is revealed to us about Jesus? And what might we apply to our own lives? I want to give you two key takeaways from this story to apply to your own life. And the first one is this. Jesus is for everyone. That's one of the things we learn from this story. Jesus is not just the savior of a certain group of people, a certain nation, a a certain ethnicity, a certain race. He is the savior for all. These magi who came from Persia were pagan Gentiles. They were not Hebrews. They were not Jews. These were foreigners coming to worship the king of Israel based on what they had learned through the Hebrew scriptures. It's a clear indication that God's grace is open to everyone of every nation, no matter who they are. Jesus himself would say years later, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world, not just a certain segment of the world, God so loved everyone in the world that he gave his one and only son to die on a cross for everyone. That whoever believes, not just if certain ones believe, whoever believes has eternal life. The Christmas miracle is not for some, it's for all. Jesus was born for all. The Good Friday and Easter Sunday activities are not for some, but for all. Jesus died for all, including you and me. But also including those people that you know out there who don't yet know Jesus and need to know Jesus. You know, the Epiphany season traditionally is a time where the church focuses on outreach and mission work, evangelism, and and witnessing. It underscores this truth that Jesus is the world's only Savior. He himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he has given you and me the task, you see, to be the messengers to share that good news with everyone, everyone who will listen that they may be drawn to know Jesus as their Savior. So let me ask you, whom do you know who needs Jesus? Whom do you know who needs Jesus? God genuinely desires that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That task is ours, friends. We are his witnesses. To help us do that and be a little more effective of that, we're going to offer some opportunities during this Epiphany season to assist all of us in honing our skills and our abilities at sharing the faith with others. Because frankly, it's maybe kind of an intimidating thought for some of talking to someone else about your faith. Well, there's a couple of things coming up I want you to be aware of. On Sunday, February 24th, 
we're going to have a guest speaker here on this campus by the name of Steve Cohen. Steve is now a Missouri Synod Lutheran church member, and he's also Jewish. Years ago, before he knew Jesus, a Lutheran man prayed for Steve for two years that he would come to, know faith, come to faith in Jesus and witness to him. And after two years of this man praying for him, he came to faith. Steve now heads up our church body's outreach to Jewish people and provides training and insight on how to share your faith effectively with your Jewish friends and neighbors. No doubt you know someone in the area who's Jewish. We have a strong, large Jewish community in Scottsdale, don't we? What if you invited a friend to come with you to worship on February 24th to hear Steve Cohen speak? And he'll do it in a way that is respectful and, and at the same time uh, invitational. That our Jewish friends might come to understand who Jesus is. That's February 24th. I hope you'll invite someone to come with you. Another opportunity will take place the following Sunday, March 3rd. I'm going to lead a witness workshop that Sunday afternoon on how to share your faith in your everyday conversations, you know, in your work life, in your student life, school life, uh, as you interact with neighbors, as you just talk with friends or even relatives. How do you bring up this topic of faith and do it in a way that fits the context and that is persuasive and winsome? That'll be March 3rd. I hope you'll come and attend that workshop uh, here on this campus. That's the first takeaway. Jesus is for everyone, and we are to share him with them. Takeaway number two from this story of the Magi coming to Jesus is this. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Jesus is worthy of our worship. These foreigners came to worship him. He's worthy of that, and he certainly is worthy of that from us who know him even more intimately. You know, the word worship is actually a contracted word. The, the original word was worthship, worth, W-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P, worthship. When we worship God, we are acknowledging his worthship, that is, that he is worthy of our praise. Jesus is worthy of our praise. Magi brought him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we too bring our gifts, our offerings, our uh, tithes and so on. But you know what he wants most from us? He wants our hearts and souls. He wants our devotion and dedication to him, our trust in him as our savior and our commitment to him to live a life that honors him. Psalm 95 verse 6 says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Friends, as we are now in a new year, in this 2019 year, I want to challenge all of us to make worship our top priority. What could be more important than worshiping our God? For wise men, women, and children today still seek him and still worship him who is worthy of that worship. Throughout this epiphany season, the challenge is to, to learn something each week 
about Jesus. We're asking the question, who is Jesus? What can we learn as he is unveiled, as he, as he is epiphanized before us week by week in the word? From the story of the Magi, these two things. Jesus is for everyone, and Jesus is worthy of our praise. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, we do gather our gifts and offerings for the Lord's work. Uh, would you also write your name and other information in the black registration booklet in the pew and pass that to your neighbor, please? Jesus is for everyone, and you need to share the gospel with people who need to hear it. But what will I say? What will I say to these people? This is what you'll say. Let's stand together. This is what we have come to know is true. 
you just walk people through these basic truths in hopes that they'll join you in believing. So tuck this into your soul as well as reading it today together. Let's read. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended.